1: Let's talk. This is a live broadcast on opioid prevention from the Clarence High School Auditorium on News Radio 930,
2: WBEN Buffalo. And good evening, everyone. This is Tim Wenger live from the Clarence High School Auditorium. We're going to go right up to the stage and kiss 98.5's Janet Snyder. This powerful video has just ended and our conversation on opioid is underway.
3: Working on the opioid crisis in Western New York. We'd like to begin first by welcoming Erie County Legislator Ed Rath. Thank you so much for this program tonight.
1: Well, thank you very much, Janet. Thank you, and it is an honor for me to welcome everyone to our open discussion on opioid prevention. And ladies and gentlemen, it is amazing to see all the folks that are here tonight, and there's so many people I could thank for how this has all come together. But first of all, I want to thank the organizing committee of this open discussion who have worked very, very hard to make this come together, as well as KISS98.5 and Janet Snyder, who has been one of our lead spokespersons, as well as Tim Wanger and uh, AM930WBEN. We wouldn't have all these folks. We wouldn't have the capacity to have this discussion tonight if it wasn't for them. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the first of many discussions that we are going to have on this opioid threat. Tonight we're going to be talking mainly about opioid prevention, because this is where it all starts. If we can prevent the opioid addiction from happening, I believe we are doing some hard work to solving this for the long term. But there are many services that need to be provided, and there are specialists here to talk about that, and there are many community experts that are here to answer your questions. Most importantly for the children who are here tonight, the youths, the juniors, the seniors, the members of the middle school, know this is an open discussion. This is not anything other than us talking back and forth about the issue. So I want to thank the panel of experts. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tremendous panel of experts. and Let's give them a round of applause to begin with. Thank you very much. And Janet, with that, I'm going to hand it back off to you. Thank All right. you very much.
3: All right. Thank you. We're going to start with an overview on what's happening right here in western New York. I want to introduce you to Judge Michael Powers. During his 35 years as a trial judge and lawyer, Judge Powers handled a number of high profile cases, including removing the Ogden and Breckenridge toll booths and forcing the Seneca Casino to locate in downtown Buffalo rather than Cheektowaga. He was appointed and then elected to the bench in Clarence in 2008, created the Clarence Drug Court the same year. Since then, Judge Powers and his drug court team have helped hundreds of young and not as young people overcome their addictions. Judge Powers was recently selected by the Erie County District Attorney's Office to run a pilot program for alcohol-dependent defendants arrested on alcohol-related charges. Uh, Judge Powers, welcome and thank you for being here. I know you just got out of court. Yes. So give I us did. an overview of what's happening in Western New York.
4: Well, thank you, Janet. Yeah, I did just get out of court, actually, in my drug court. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about that more later, but in terms of a brief overview, because we're very interested in hearing from you more than we are um, telling you what we think right now. But I guess the best way to approach an overview of this problem is through that movie. Um, that movie and that girl is everywhere. She's in Clarence, she's in Buffalo, she's in Lackawanna, she's in Amherst. There is not a demographic, there's not an economic demographic, or a racial, a religious, or other demographic that this problem does not affect. And it used to be that the uh, pusher was on a street corner somewhere. The pusher is now in virtually every house in this country and the pushers in the medicine cabinet. And until the proliferation of these opiates really came down like a storm 10 to 20 years ago, we didn't have this problem. It isn't that it wasn't known, we didn't have it. But through a variety of causes, um, physicians, pharmaceutical companies, uh, societal changes, parenting changes um, and behavioral changes in students. It came together as a perfect storm and we have people dying by the hundreds every year in every community across this country. I don't think we need to spend a lot more time trying to impress on everyone the seriousness of this problem. That was my job ten years ago. Our job now is to talk to you and to hear from you, most especially, about prevention. Because the kids in my drug court, I can send them off, and God willing, they're going to live long and happy and healthy lives, but they've lost their childhood. And that is not acceptable. Some have lost their lives. I've lost one person from my drug court in 10 years. That's one person too much. His dad's here tonight. I look around the room, I see many people of children have been in my drug court. And each and every one of them has a tragic story, hopefully with a happy ending. But it's the tragic story that we're here to address. And I can't thank legislator Ed Rath enough. We ran into each other a year and a half ago, talked about this problem, and I kept singing my song to him that we need to focus on prevention. And here we are, and that's what we're going to do, and that's where we're going to try and focus our efforts.
3: Thank you, Judge Powers. Right now, because for anybody listening, if we just have them listening for the next 10 minutes, if you were to give us one piece of advice, one piece of advice to prevent this from getting into their house, what would you say? Something that somebody can change in what they're doing today.
4: Well, Janet, it's interesting you ask me that because I took a break in my drug court. This afternoon, I asked every kid that was in there that very question, and this is what I got. There what? was no consensus. From my it. personal experience, it's parenting. Okay. Parents have to be parents and not their children's best friend. I don't have a kid in my drug court that didn't have at least one enabling parent, and that has to change.
3: What does that mean?
4: What that means is that sometimes it is your kid's fault when your kid gets in trouble. Your kid needs curfews. Your kid needs boundaries. Your kid needs a kick in the butt from time to time. You can't be blaming the police. You can't be blaming the teachers. You can't blame the principal. You can't blame the next door neighbor when your kid misbehaves, because if you create an environment at home where your child does not suffer consequences for bad behavior, you create a void in that child's life. The child doesn't know boundaries, the child doesn't know discipline. When that happens, that void gets filled. Sometimes it gets filled with healthy things, often it doesn't, and with the availability of prescription painkillers and opiates today, and, and by the way, you need to know who your kids are hanging out with, but with the availability of these opiates, that void often gets filled that way. When your kid comes home at night, make sure you're up, give him or her a kiss, smell their breath, look into their eyes, know what your child's doing, and be their parent, not their best friend.
3: Thanks, Judge Powers, very nicely put. You're listening on News Talk 930 WBEN. We are live from Clarence High School. We have got an auditorium full of people here that will be asking questions. I want to welcome also on the panel tonight, Dr. Gil Burstein. Dr. Gil Burstein is the Erie County Commissioner of Health and a clinical profession, professor of pediatrics. At SUNY at Buffalo School of Medicine, Dr. Burstein is currently working on Erie County strategies to expand substance abuse treatment services and prevent opioid-related deaths. Dr. Burstein chairs the Erie County Opioid Epidemic Task Force. In 2017, Erie County experienced a decline in opioid-related deaths. Welcome.
5: Thank you. So,
3: begin talking about opioid prevention, Dr. Burstein. What would you like to say about the crisis? From a health commissioner's standpoint,
5: well, uh, I just would like people to uh, to remember that most individuals who are uh, victims of opioid dependence or addiction are really uh, victims of taking, oftentimes taking medications as prescribed. I mean, many times, uh, you know, people are uh, they they you know they suffer an injury or they have some type of surgical procedure or a dental procedure, and they're prescribed uh, narcotic pain medication, which often isn't necessary. Actually, most of the time it's not necessary. And they take the medicine as directed. And unfortunately for some individuals, it, uh, it can lead to uh, dependence and then addiction. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm I want us, you know, start taking opioids every day, or pain medication every day, or heroin. I mean, it's really they people can fall into this path, and before it's um, and not until after it's too late do they realize that you know they're dependent, and then they develop these behaviors that um, you know that cause them more harm, um, and they continue using despite the knowledge that this is causing them a lot of harm. So, uh, so we have to realize that uh, an addiction is a disease of the brain. It's not a choice. It's not a bad behavior. People don't choose to, uh, you know, to, ha- to have this dependence. And we also have to realize that oftentimes it's because they're, they think that they're, they're following good medical advice. And so when we think about uh, helping individuals who are, are at risk uh, or are uh, addicted to opioids, we have to remember that we have to be compassionate and not judgmental, just like we would treat somebody who had another chronic disease like you know, diabetes or COPD or cancer that's, uh, that's you know dependent on chronic medication. And because addiction is a disease of the brain, and um, many diseases, chronic diseases, require medication, and opioid addiction is one of them. It requires medication-assisted treatment. Uh, we know that uh, that buprenorphine or Suboxone is a, is a trade name that's commonly used, or methadone, are the most effective uh, evidence-based treatments for opioid addiction. You know, detox, abstinence has about a 100% failure rate, and you're not just replacing one drug with another. Um, just like somebody has diabetes, you're not saying, oh, I'm not gonna give you your insulin, you're not making enough yourself. So it's, uh, you know, we really have to rethink about how we uh, think about this disease and do everything we can to prevent it. Um, including emptying out our medicine cabinets. If you know, we have, you have uh, you know, drugs in your medicine cabinet that you haven't been taking because you didn't need them all, you're probably not gonna ever need them, but somebody who is curious or who, um, you know, who, who it just wants to experiment that could lead to some bad outcomes um, may use them and cause a lot of harm. So we have drug drop-off kiosks throughout Erie County and you can just go to thepointnewyork.org and type in your address and find the kiosk closest to you. At the end of next month, also the DEA is gonna sponsor a, um, a national drug drop-off day where you'll be able to drop off your drugs. And these kiosks allow you to do it 24-7 confidentially. It looks like a mailbox, pop it in the top drawer and uh, and you're done with it, it's, it's um, confidential. Also as a parent, one the other thing you could do if you're taking your child to a healthcare provider, and or you know, including a dentist, and they want to offer your child some pain medication for whatever procedure, you can say no, or you can say, you know what, I just want like one or two days so they can get to sleep and take the edge off. I mean, I do that with my children, and it uh, and you know, it is really for their benefit most of the time. And there have been great data, great studies. That prove this is that the risk of these narcotic pain medication is much greater than the benefit, and most of the time, I mean, I'm not talking like severe motor vehicle accident. I'm talking, you know, uh, um, you know, procedure like tooth extraction or minor, you know, or an injury, um, or even you know, surgery uh, like a hip replacement or, or something like that. Um, usually, uh, you know, ibuprofen, ibuprofen. And acetaminophen, Tylenol, will relieve the pain just as much, and we have good data to support that.
3: Are the doctors in Western New York hearing these messages to stop writing
5: prescriptions that people can become addicted to? Because those are the people we trust the most. Right. So there has been a steep learning curve among healthcare providers in our community. And they have uh, really stepped up and have uh, realized you know, what, uh, you know, what the, the cause of this opioid epidemic is and have done a lot to prevent addiction and also to treat addiction. So uh, we know from our Erie County Medicaid data, so we have our own prescription data, that actually hydrocodone that used to be the number one prescribed drug in, among our Medicaid population in Erie County forever since we started looking at this in the past year and a half has dropped to number five. And ibuprofen is number one. Good. So we have good data to really demonstrate that physicians are not, and healthcare providers are not prescribing, and or um, patients are not filling as many prescriptions as they have in the past. You know, also we know that healthcare more healthcare providers, um, including my hero, Dr. Lynch, are uh, stepping up and getting certified to prescribe uh, sub, uh, buprenorphine or Suboxone mm-hmm. is a trade name to uh, help their patients battle with opioid addiction.
3: Well, hopefully we're gonna prevent it before it becomes an addiction. Thank you, Dr. Burstein. Dr. Josh Lynch is a Buffalo native and trained at UB in emergency medicine as a member of the Erie County Opioid Epidemic Task Force He's been active in the efforts to combat the opioid epidemic. Recently, he's taken the lead on developing a program for regional emergency departments to identify, treat, and refer patients quickly into treatment. He also works with the New York State Department of Health to influence state and national policy to provide better care to patients with addiction. Dr. Lynch, we're talking about prevention. We've got young kids in the audience tonight at Clarence High School, many listening on WBEN. How bad's the problem in Western New York? How concerned should people tonight here be, and how concerned should people in Western New York be?
6: Yeah, thank you very much. I I think that that people should be obviously very concerned, that's why we're all here. Uh, And just to echo on what Dr. Bernstein had mentioned before, how addictive these medications are, I think is often underestimated, and it's been underestimated by, I think, just the general population, but certainly underestimated by doctors. Uh, and just for an example, even after a five or a seven day course of narcotic pain medication, uh, your risk of becoming dependent or having addictive kind of behavior or thoughts or feelings actually goes up after even only five or seven days. So we have learned very quickly that we need to take this very seriously, even as healthcare professionals, because we know that you trust us to, know, to you know, understand how all, how all these medications work precisely. Without any without any additional learning or education, and we're people too, and are still you know we we're still learning, and we're learning very quickly uh, with the help of public health people and discussions like this. Um, but just keep in mind that that you all you you always have the option to say, hey, you know what? I'd rather rather not have you know a narcotic pain medication for whatever procedure, or can we just try a couple days, and if I if we need more, then let me come back. That's usually almost always safer than than walking away with a two week or a one month prescription. So, is
3: moms and dads should the question be if a child has their wisdom teeth out or they have their tonsils out? Should the question to the doctor be is this a narcotic?
6: Right. I mean, I think is this a narcotic and and is that do you think this is absolutely necessary? Um, and taking taking a, a a course of a prescription for a, a few just a few days and going back or calling for the option to get a little bit more, I think, you know, is a much safer approach rather than saying, yeah, I'll take a week or two week prescription now, uh, which really should rarely be offered that long of a uh, a prescription without having another appointment to come back.
3: For grandparents that are listening right now, name some drugs that could be in their medicine cabinet that kids could get their hands on and turn into something bad.
6: There's a lot, (laughs) Um, but you know, but I think hydrocodone, oxycodone, Lortab, Norco, Percocet, um, Vicodin uh, are probably some of the most common. Um, commonly, did I forget? Right. So, th- something that's not a narcotic but also um, is becoming a huge problem are benzodiazepines or, or benzos, and those would include Adivan or Xanax or Clonopin, and there's generic names for all those, all those drugs too. But I I think if you're you're a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or a friend or a cousin or whatever, um, if you have medicines in your medicine cabinet or on your kitchen counter or in your glove compartment and you're not using them or the prescriptions passed, there is no reason for you to have them.
3: Okay, thank you. Alan Rozanski, 46-year employee of the Erie County Sheriff's Office, recently retired in June, spent over 30 years of that assigned to narcotics. Last couple is the Chief of Narcotics, one of several officers assigned to the Bike Path Rapist Task Force, case resulting in the arrest and conviction of El Tempio Sanchez and freeing of Anthony Capozzi. Welcome. Thank you. What have you seen in Western New York?
7: Well, like I said, uh, it was already said before, this problem is a three-pronged approach. It's education, rehabilitation, and enforcement. But I can tell you for sure, from working for, One end of the county, the next. This is not unique to the city of Buffalo. You could see it in Gowanda, you see it in Grand Island, you see it in Clarence. This is a problem that uh, is, you know, I would say was off the hook, but the uh, uh, amount of reduction is indicative of the cooperation that everybody's uh, put in here. You know, uh, the Erie County Health Department, the judge, the legislators, uh, our highly trained narcotics unit. And I would tell anybody if they think they can run and they're not gonna be able to hide because you will get caught.
3: When you look at the problem today versus what it was 10 years ago, how much worse has it gotten?
7: It is worse. It's because the drug dealer doesn't know what he's selling. The person that's buying it doesn't know what they're buying. And other parts of the country are seeing fentanyl laced in uh, uh, cocaine and marijuana. So they're gonna consume something having no idea what they're buying.
3: So to somebody listening right now that is maybe gonna be at a party or out one Saturday night and somebody's gonna hand them something and say, hey, it's this. How many times is it something way different than what they're being given?
7: Well, the chances are you, that one chance that it could be and you're dead is not the chance to take it. I mean, that's uh, it's the differential association theory. You are who you associate with. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wanna take a chance, they're, uh, telling us at our lab not to even touch this stuff, not to even, uh, we used to field test it. Right. And the lab is telling us not to even field
3: test it. It's that dangerous. Yes. I'm glad you're here tonight, thank you. Brave enough to come from the Clarence Drug Court is a client in recovery. Do you want to introduce yourself?
8: Hello, my name is Andrew.
3: Andrew, if you were to give perspective to middle school and high school students, and I know you've never done this before, isn't he brave for doing this? I think you should give him a round of applause. You look like every young man in western New York. You look like the kind of child every parent wants. How did you get into drugs? What happened? What led you there? Do you remember?
8: Um, It would be difficult to say um, what exactly led me there. Um, I know at the age that I started, I was real young. I wouldn't say I was even fully coherent. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I was about nine years old, eight or nine years old. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of free time on my hands. There wasn't a lot of things that I found satisfaction in. Um, I wasn't very close with family. I didn't have very many friends. And it was, drugs provided exactly what I was looking for.
3: Today you're recovering? Yes. How far along are you?
8: Uh, about a year.
3: Going to stay away from that day one? You've made other friends, I would imagine, that have also been into drugs and recovering?
8: Um, Most of the people that I used to get high with are either still getting high or dead.
3: To somebody listening right now, what should parents know? What should we know to look for? What should friends, family members, people that are adults that are influences a coach? I know we've got coaches here tonight. What should somebody look for?
8: Um, as much as I would like to say that there are universal signs or symptoms, I think part of the reason why I was able to fly under the radar with everyone who was close to me for so long um, is that a lot of it is relatively negligible. Um, it's, unless you're spending a whole lot of time with that person, um, or you, you're able to compare um, the way they used to be to the way they are now when something seems off, uh, it's really hard to notice. I mean, my father, for instance, I maybe saw him for 30 minutes a day. Uh, so it was really easy for me to just say hi, bye, and then go to bed or something. How did you get it? How did I get what?
3: Drugs. Where um, did you find it?
8: <clears throat> when I first started off, When I was about eight or nine years old, um, I was smoking pot and drinking alcohol. Uh, The alcohol was mostly found in my house, and I had an older brother whose friends liked me. So that's where I started to get uh, pot from. And then when I was about 13, I started doing a lot of painkillers, prescription opioids. And my first experience from that was from my grandmother's medicine cabinet.
3: So you knew to look there.
8: Yeah. You knew what they
3: looked like. And so this just helps bring home, not that your grandmother or your, I appreciate your honesty, because what you're doing is saving a life. You're teaching a lesson and you're helping people understand. It's right in your own house. And many, many times, and I know Judge Powers, you said this before, it happens and it starts right in your house. Um, So be careful what's in your house. Is that the message that you would say to people listening right now?
8: To parents? Yeah. I would say that's a big part of it. Um, It's really easy to find a means to an end.
3: Yeah. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Didn't you do a great job? That's brave. And finally, on our panel, is Carolyn Grisco, director of clinical services for Beacon Center. Carolyn's been a consummate professional as both a counselor and a clinical supervisor for years. She began her career at Beacon Center in 92 as a chemical dependency counselor, subsequently receiving a promotion to clinical supervisor in 94, widely recognized in the community for expertise and commitment to the chemical dependency field. Ms. Grisco continually presents to organizations throughout Western New York, acts as a drug court coordinator for the town of Clarence Drug Court. So Carolyn, you're talking to people every day and you're hearing their stories. How bad is, because tonight we talk about opioid prevention. How bad is the problem in Western New York?
9: Well. It starts, you know, addiction is a progression, and so I think, and from Andrew, you're hearing where, when he started, he was, he was a very, he was elementary school. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, as we see, you know, we hear the opiate crisis, but where does this all start? And so when I interview people to do an assessment, you know, all of our, really all of our clients start with alcohol and marijuana. So there's a progression. And what we do know is that the younger that a person starts using a drug, the more likely they're gonna have problems later in the future. The brain is developing. Um, It's a a very pliable time. The kids are taking high-risk behaviors. You're more likely, just naturally being an adolescent, to put yourself in situations that sometimes are more high-risk. You have a lot of choices. There's peer pressure. There's competition, there's stress, there's a lot of things going on. And teenagers can be vulnerable. So when, I just don't want to discount the, the role alcohol plays. Sometimes I'll have parents say, well they're just using more marijuana, they're not using opioids, they're not using pills. And for there's any high school students in there, which I see a lot of faces, uh, they know that Xanax is available very abused. Um, Adderall, especially as you go into the college years, severely abused, Um, it can be abused. So there's a lot of things out there. One of our drug court um, clients years ago said his first introduction to an opiate was going to party, he was drinking, put his hand in a bag, took a pill, didn't know what type of pill it was, he thinks it was an opiate, and from there on he loved the way it felt. I have to go back to you
3: talking about Adderall because there's a lot of children that are prescribed it for the right reasons and it does help them. Where does it change from the right reasons to it being abused where it can be dangerous and addictive and a gateway drug?
9: Well, it's it can be addicted. I mean, we have two doctors here that probably have better knowledge of that than certainly I do, but you know, what what happens if it's prescribed and it's monitored, and you know parents maybe have control over it, and there's you know no real increases? It does serve a purpose. I mean, obviously right. it does. But so, it, but it what can. I mean
3: is for somebody listening right now, because I want parents to know what to look for. Should I be counting the pills, the Adderall pills,
9: to make sure that they're not going through too many? I would. Okay. I mean, I, right. I, 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 same with Xanax for any medication. So even if you do have. I think it was a great um, discussion as far as, you know, someone's having their wisdom teeth and the doctor's prescribing. uh, My daughter did this too, you know, a week supply. Mm -hmm. You know, I had control of it and she was fine. So having that conversation with the physician, knowing what's right for your, your child, and being okay to say, no, I'll take care of this, I'll be in charge of it.
3: We are talking, and thank you, we're talking about opioid prevention this evening at Clarence High School. We would also like to welcome our friends that are listening on News Talk 930 WBEN. We have four microphones. You are welcome to come up to the microphone and make a statement to one of the panelists. Tell your story, share your side of it, ask a question. So we invite you to do that. And um, I can tell you that we've got parents here tonight. I was talking to a mom earlier. Can I can I talk to you now? Can I come up there? Are we okay? I'm gonna come up here. Um, and she told me a story of her son and told me the story about you talking to somebody, can I, is, you good? Okay, so she's sitting in a waiting room waiting for her son to come out and she's talking to somebody who's into drugs and tell me what they said to you.
10: They told me, give me $20 in 10 minutes and I can be back
3: with anything that you need. It's that easy in western New York. It's that easy in our communities to get drugs. Yep. With your son, do you want to share any of your story?
10: My son actually went through Clarence schools. Um, he was part of Judge Power's drug court. Um, he is recovered now. It was a very long battle. Um, it can be done um, with determination, but it, it truly begins in, with situations like this, where you just you have to be educated, you cannot have closed eyes, and you cannot be afraid to talk about if you think something's wrong, something's probably wrong, and you have to be able to step forward and say, I need help, and if you're not sure where to go, then you look for Judge Powers, and you ask him where you can go for help, or um, there's people everywhere in the schools that can point you in the right directions.
3: I appreciate it, thank you. Who else wants to share with us tonight?
5: This is where can we I, have the can open, I, Can yes. I just um, mention, a, a, A resource, absolutely. Thank you very much for your story. So, in Erie County, we have an addiction hotline. It's manned by crisis services. It's available twenty-four-seven. So, if you want just information about uh, any type of uh, addiction or treatment, or you're actually interested in uh, in starting an getting an appointment to start on uh, medication assisted treatment or some type of, of therapy for uh, drug dependence or addiction, you can call that number and there'll be somebody, a trained counselor, picking up the phone. And that number is 831 so remember James Bond, 007. And if you forget the number, the other numbers besides 007, you can go to our Erie County Health Department website and get that information. And that is a great resource. It was funded by the Erie County Legislature, so thank you. And it is helping a lot of people get into care. And uh, uh, Josh, do you want to talk about your program?
7: Yeah, real quick, because I
5: want to get the
3: kids talking, because I think it's important, but uh, please mention your program.
6: Just just very quickly, um, we are in in the midst of kind of rapidly expanding a program that links people and patients when they go to the emergency department to treatment clinics. And I think we all know somebody that has gone to the emergency department, right? You're typically there a long time. Uh, Sorry. Uh, but but if you know somebody or you've gone to the emergency department for an addictions-related problem, sometimes you don't leave with what you expected to to get when you got when you walked in, like an appointment the same day, or medication to help with your symptoms or a good list of resources. And so we've worked very hard over the past few months to to provide good list of resources, but also to get you get you to the point and that you will have an appointment by the time you walk out of the hospital. And typically that appointment is in within 24 to 48 hours. And in the next month or two, almost every hospital in Buffalo and almost every hospital in Western New York will be running on the same program. So, And so w-
3: Dr. Lynch, so I understand what appointments we're talking about. Are we talking about if somebody is abusing drugs and needs to get into a drug treatment facility? Right. Is that what you're talking about?
6: Right. Okay. So right now we have we, we partner with 11 clinic locations in the greater Buffalo area. Uh, we're working on expanding that every day, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, the program is in seven emergency departments right now. And like I said, probably in the next month or two, we'll be in almost every hospital in Erie County.
3: Um, I just thought of a question I want to ask Alan Rosansky, former Erie County Sheriff's no. Detective, in a car. Where have you found drugs? Where can parents look for drugs in their kids' cars?
7: Well, <clears throat> under the seats, in the glove box, in the trunk. Uh, difference, we've actually not, you know, uh, in these. we've found traps in cars, hydraulics, uh, they actually, drug dealers will trap out a car. And uh, Is it, and I don't, I'm,
3: um, <laughs> um, a mom. Is it, does that it mean it's like under the car and they're hiding the drugs? It
7: could be under the car. It could okay. be in a magnetic box under right. the, under the uh, floor of the car. Mm-hmm. It could be anywhere in the car okay. at all. So, all right,
3: could, just to give yeah. people, I'm just trying to give people as many tools. Who is willing to tell me why they came tonight if you'll raise your hand and just tell me. what, um, Please share because the more we share with each other, the farther we'll get in opioid prevention. We're at Clarence High School. You're listening to News Talk 930 WBEN. Yes, please share your story.
0: Uh, hello everyone um, my name is Sean Plunkett I'm um, about to be 25 years old in May um, I'm a recovering addict and um, I came tonight with another recovering addict um, just to hear what was being said um, I went to Canisius High School I'm from Orchard Park um, I had parents just much like all of you guys do I'm assuming um, when I was graduating in 2011, I'm an athlete as well. I'm a college athlete. Um, I got cut from professional ranks in the CFL. Um, when I was in high school, I could get pills from 20, 30 different people without looking. Okay, So they were already flooded in our schools. And I went to a private school. I, wasn't, you know, I didn't expect that, but that's what happened. Um, I'm in recovery today. I'm in a recovery community. and um, something that uh, Dr. Gale shared. Um, I don't agree with you. I know of hundreds of people that um, are recovering with no Medicaid assistant therapy, although it is a helpful tool. I'm not trying to say that. Um, I just disagreed with what you said. And the point that I wanted to make is mental health. Um, I was able to make tremendous strides in my own recovery. Um, when I was able, finally able to get into treatment, You know, I went to ECMC time after time, and I didn't ha- either have enough drugs in my system to go to treatment, or there was six-month waiting list for me to go to rehab when I wanted help. Okay, mm-hmm. so I know we're talking about OVO, uh, opioid prevention, but what about the tens of thousands of people in our community that are suffering right now? And first that of is, all,
3: and and it on, and I first of all recovering. How about that? I think <laughs> Thank you deserve that. And I know what we are talking about, and Dr. Burstein, I'll let you respond to that. That is one of the huge problems: there not being enough places to have people go for recovery, and I know that Erie County Legislator at RATH, that's one of the discussions we want to have. So tonight, help me with this, because we're starting with, and, and we see all of these young faces around here, prevention. Mm-hmm. So to young kids, you, you were probably the picture of what everybody wants to be. Absolutely. And so what would you say first to students, and then for parents to look for, because you know what it's like. There's dual income working parents. They get home, they're tired, you gotta make dinner, everyone's going to practice. You have 10 minutes of conversation. So talk to the younger people in the audience and then, and listening on BEN, and then to the adults, because we're the ones doing something wrong. Mm.
0: No, absolutely. I'm grateful that this is even a conversation. Good. Because for a long time, it was a stigma. No one was talking about this. Uh, you know, I watched the. Uh, I watched the clip and like, for someone that's active in addiction, uh, they're, very, they're used to needles, street crime, and that kind of a thing, because mm-hmm. that's where the disease progresses to. That's the reality. And for the kids that are here, um, I applaud you for coming, um, for listening. Um, and I know a lot of times people, like um, with certain, with DARE programs, just say no, stuff like that. Um, they try to, people try to tell you to say no, but I'm an example. Um, I had a beautiful future. I had a fiance. I had a beautiful life. I destroyed my athletic career. Um, I was the projected NFL draft pick. Okay, I destroyed my life with opioid pain pills, and the disease progressed to a state where I used to live. You know, I couldn't live without using. Mm-hmm. That's where it becomes to me. Um, I'm a true recovering addict. You know, I'm abstinent from all drugs, whatever shape form they come in, including alcohol, marijuana. Those are drugs for me. Yep. Not everybody is that way, but I know thousands of my friends this is my life, this is their life. This isn't a joke in Western New York. This is really happening all over Erie County. And I know programs um, like Save the Michaels, Restoration Mm -hmm. Society, some of the programs that are out here, there is help available. If you're willing to get better, we can get you better, if you're willing to go.
3: I think we all have paths in life, and maybe your path has been to save other lives, and I think that's a way bigger future, and I wish you all the best. Didn't you do a great job? Thank Thank you. That is not easy to do. Are you coming to talk? You're just walking out? Okay. Um, We are talking opioid prevention. I want to know more reasons why you came tonight. I want you to, and I know it's scary because there's microphones and everything, but share why you're here. And if you're willing to do that, it might help somebody. Hi, why are you here tonight?
11: I'm Dr. Bansel, I do pain management in town. And my focus is to educate the primary physicians on how to take care of pain without using opioids. That is my focus. But one of the reasons why I walked in here was my son went to Clarence High School. I'm in Clarence School System. Graduated in 2008. And I was uh, like a hawk with him, you know. I, I was very concerned because of my specialty. And one time something was not right, and I was all over him. Went and talked to the teachers, went and talked to everybody. So you have to watch over your kids every second, and they laugh at me. Mom, you're gonna do a drug test on me, you know. But I used to threaten them, and fortunately they didn't get into all this, but his best friend from elementary school is selling drugs. I mean, he used to hang out in my house, and he said, Mom, this guy wants to send me. And then I had another kid who's a drug rep now, My son graduated in 2008, so now it's 2018. And he came and told me, you know, there are at least more than what his fingers are, people have died from Clarence High School. So this is what is going on right here. I just want you guys to know that you really have to watch these kids. You know, you have to watch every friend that they go out with, you need to watch them every second of the day. They're too precious.
3: And I will point out, and yes, we are at Clarence High School, but I know every person listening knows I'm from the Williamsville School District. It's in Williamsville. We just heard it's in Orchard Park. We know it's all over. And so learning more and more. Hi, hold on a sec. I'm so glad you're going to talk with us. I'm going to sit with you. You're here because? I'm here because
12: my son was with Judge Powers. God bless him, he is wonderful. Um, still struggling, uh, he's, well I'm not struggling, he's still struggling, but he's, in his uh, by his own choice, you know, outpatient. Mm-hmm. I could tell you, I could probably talk all night long, but briefly, he has almost died probably two to three times. It all started when he was uh, probably around 12, 12, when his dad passed away. And of course I was, I was raising four kids by myself, there was no help, not making excuses. Mm-hmm. But it was it was hard, and I look back now, and I know that you know I wasn't there. I can't blame myself totally, but that is part of it. Um, he started with marijuana and drinking, and it progressed. Um, I didn't
3: see it. I should have. I look back now, hindsight's 2020. What if you look back right now for somebody listening, because this is about opioid prevention? When you look back, what should you have seen?
12: Well. First and foremost, they're good liars. When when they use, they lie. If their mouth is moving, sorry, <laughs> they're not telling the truth because they're they're good at. They get really good at it. Mm-hmm. And when he was in tenth grade, it was I think it was the beginning of tenth grade. He got student of the month for uh, dental lab tech, here at Clarence. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And then there was a downside after that. Just. He was and he was always sick my stomach sick i took him to the doctors I, was, I thought maybe something's wrong with him and then he was sleeping all day um it got progressively worse um it got to the point he um took my car he stole my car i called the police he had him arrested he wasn't he didn't even have his license then he was stealing my credit cards mm-hmm. first time shame on you second time shame on me third time i had him arrested The sheriffs were at our house. Several, they know me. Yeah, (laughs) they were there a lot of times. I'd call the police. Um, I finally had them. They kept saying, "Get him in the system. Have him arrested." I finally had him arrested. It was the hardest thing I ever did. He was in court with Judge Powers. They were wonderful. He went away. He, you know, and he 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 struggled even after five years. He did not. He didn't want to change. He did not. And the gentleman that talked earlier, it's true. He didn't. He was not ready. Well, after we got out of the court system um without going into details about any, much anything else but the first time well judge powers like actually let him back in because the first time he almost died he came back to court the next because weekend i think he was getting ready to kick him out mm-hmm. judge power they were done with him, basically see if you remember and he uh he said well you really did it now didn't you he said you almost killed yourself and he said yeah because he he shot up but it wasn't heroin it was uh he was sanctioned and he stole something because that's what they do they steal he stole something from where he was working it was tranquilizer for animals so anyways long story short after he got out of the court um he wasn't back home he was on his own at an oxford house which is a sober living house independent living um he wanted to come back home but i wouldn't let him right he did, he did eventually get into heroin and
3: Today, he almost died he almost died. He was in the hospital for two months. So that's twice two months. Yeah, it was
12: How, three times, actually. That's, just, that's the worst time.
3: Bring me to today. Today, he is
12: uh, outpatient in Horizons. Okay. Um, he so, actually has a court date tomorrow because during the time when he was in the hospital for two months, he had stolen from colds. Okay. Um, he also was found with a needle on him. But that was dismissed. Now
3: let me bring this back to what we're talking about mm-hmm. tonight. So tonight's opioid prevention. I'm listening to the radio right now and saying, "Oh, not my kids, not my grandkids."
12: Can happen to anybody. Anybody. And we live in a nice house. And you know, he has three younger siblings that saw this happening. And
3: I hear all the time when drugs get into a house, it affects the entire family, siblings, definitely, parents, jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
12: Well, when I found him on the floor, he thought I was gonna let him back in after he was at the hospital, when they put him into rehab. And I told him right at the table, I said, you can't come back. He really thought I was gonna be his his net. And I haven't let him back because it was the worst thing, And they've told me, and it is the worst thing, they need to get on their feet. He is trying really now, but now, even though he's sober and Mm -hmm. he's going to his counseling sessions, he's struggling with health issues from the use. He has trouble with his heart. He has trouble. Up here he's having Well the drugs headaches. can do so much. I, I appreciate you Kidneys. sharing.
3: Thank you. Thank I you. appreciate being here. Um can someone on the panel help me to know with families? Because it affects the family so bad. Where does a family member go with questions? Like where if like if you have somebody like if you're a family member and you know there's somebody in your house using drugs and you're trying to figure out what to do, what should somebody what's the first step that you do?
5: Sure. Well, uh, you know, again, you can call the addictions hotline, and they can give you some good information. Um, I think that is a you know good place to start. Mm -hmm. It's available twenty four seven. It's free, and they can give you more information of uh, you know where they can give you information of where to. Get additional information or the places support. to get treatment and support. Um, there are a network, a really good network of peer counselors in the community. We've helped do uh, a lot of training for for peer counselors and family support systems, and okay. uh, you know that that will give you uh, the calling the hotline will give you information about those type of resources. Because those decisions to not let a drug addict back in back in your house, and I've heard
3: that again and again. Hi. On? Oh. Welcome, yeah. Thank you.
5: Um, I have a question
3: for Andrew, um, or even the judge um, on the panel. I have an 11, 12, and 13-year-old with me today. We came from Buffalo. And a um, couple years they'll be in high school. And they're very um, easily influenced. And I just wanna know if you can give them some advice because I can't be there with them every second of the day. And you know, as, as their mom, they just think I'm you know, just crazy. What's your advice to kids in middle school going into high school about this? Great question.
8: Um, <clears throat> excuse me if I pause for a little bit. Uh, the subject matter is pretty serious. I wanna give a, a good answer. Um, when I went into middle school and high school, um, as I stated, uh, a big part of me starting to use drugs was it gave me an in to a crowd and I, I had friends and people that, uh, that I assumed were my friends and that liked me. Um, and I, I couldn't really grasp the concept of uh, more to life, you know, there was uh, more things that I could value, different things that I could value, and that those people's opinion of me really didn't matter. Um, that was all that mattered at that time. Come to find out that those aren't <laughs> uh, the people in high school that use drugs. In my eyes, were were the cool ones. Um, and you get out into the real world, and you realize that that's not that that's not true at all. Whether or not it was true at one point is irrelevant. Uh, I don't even know if it was. It might have just been a delusion that I had. Um, but. I guess the, the best advice that I could give is to uh, choose your company wisely. Um, <clears throat> the people who actually, choose the people who actually have something going for them um, and have, have, fi- have figured out a way how to enjoy life.
3: That's thank a great you. answer, thank you, very good. Hi.
13: <laughs> Hello, yep. sorry, my name's Joanne. Um, I have a quick question and I don't know who really can answer. I have a daughter that just started high school this year, um, and she has come to me, which I'm thankful, because there's kids in her class that come in, some boys that come into one of her classes that are totally high, are smoking e-cigarettes in the back of class. Um, I've encouraged her. She came to me to ask me what she should do. She said she doesn't want to be put on the spot, and she doesn't want to be You know that everybody says, oh, she's the tattletale of the class and stuff like that. And I told her, I said, look, you see something, you say something. I says, go to the teacher privately, talk to the teacher and let them know what's going on. She has done this numerous times to the point now where she's come up to me and she says, mom, I feel bad for these kids. They come in school, they're high. They don't know, they can't even pay attention in class. He says, one day the guy come in and he didn't seem like he was high. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. He seemed very smart. What can I do for him? Is there anything I can do? Is there any resources for these kids to help them to try and help other kids? Or what is the school's responsibility at this point? I mean, she's gone to the teacher and she's gotten to the point now where I says, well, tell the teacher again. She's like, why should I keep telling him? nothing's getting done? Hmm. Where does she, where do we go from here? What do I do as a parent? I'm, I, I don't know where else to send her or what else to do.
5: Um, so I as where I'm a pediatrician too, so I can give you advice uh, wearing my pediatrician's hat. So this is um, your daughter is uh, very brave and you're helping her make some smart choices and I really want to commend you for that. Uh, um, um, unfortunately uh, um, sometimes uh, teachers don't really have the um, you know the training or the resources to understand what to do to help those kids who are, uh, are are struggling with substance use. So another place to go if your school does have these resources is to the you know the guidance counselor or the school social worker or oftentimes there's a school mental health care provider. Uh, those individuals are trained to uh, you know to deal with those type of uh, you know substance use behavioral health issues and. May may be able to uh, you know to to uh, do a, uh, understand you know how to uh, help these kids and you know get get them into the appropriate counseling and it's completely ap- appropriate for your daughter to reach out to uh, to get help. Uh, remember, it's a it's a safety issue, and so she's concerned that these kids are putting themselves at risk of you know harming themselves or. Perhaps, you know, if they're driving or, um, you, know, or, or uh, you know, roughing around and, and, and they're under the influence and don't have good judgment, um, you know, it could be harm to somebody else. So it's, you know, completely appropriate to, you know, tell somebody to, to get help. And if uh, it sounds like she's had a frustrating experience that the person in school she's reached out to has not been able to help there should be hopefully you know somebody in the school that would have the, the knowledge and the resources to provide them with some help
13: my parental advice i was going to say should i ha- should i go I the school or should i
3: have her go talk in to the, the school the okay. and i I'd like at some point we as adults not to get into the health commissioner side <laughs> At some point, we as adults, we as adults, are the ones that have screwed this up for the future generations. It's time we all stood up and tackled the problem and worked on prevention. So, if that's in your classroom, I would raise up storm, I, and that's just my. I would go to the school and say, "This is a problem. Okay, it's Thanks. distracting my child in class." Okay, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Brave question. Hi.
14: Hello. <laughs> Stand up. Yeah, come on. My name is Allison. Oh, we're not doing names. Um, you could do names, Hi, Allison. <laughs> I'm Allison, I'm Janet. I'm a surgical assistant. I got out of work early just to be here today because I really wanted, I heard you on the radio and I was like, that's such a good idea. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, my patients, I wanna go off of what Andrew was saying earlier about his friends were cool at the time, they seemed like they were giving him good advice almost, maybe, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but I want to say that nobody will take care of you but yourself. You have your mom, you have your dad, you have your friends, um, but they can't do for you what you can do for you. Um, And in a drug point of view, I feel like if you're doing drugs, you don't care about yourself as much so for you to turn around and say, hey, do this because I'm doing it. You don't care about your own well-being, so don't expect them, I'm sorry, they don't care about their own well-being, don't expect them to think about your well-being, if that made sense. I don't know, I'm a little nervous. But anyways, um, (laughs) I have had experience where my patients would come in um, all ages, parents like, oh, could I get a prescription? Um, but put it under my daughter's name because of insurance reasons. And I'm like, no, 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 we can't do that. And uh, before it was all paper prescriptions. I don't know if anyone has noticed that now it goes electronically. It's called eScribe. We can see um, what has been prescribed, what's actively in your um, prescription memory bank, as they were mentioning earlier. And um, there are red flags. Um, I have had told patients um, that I will not prescribe them a prescription because of what they currently have open in their file. Um, I have had patients call me and say, oh, could I just get another script? And um, I've been in that position where I'm like, I really want to make them like me. I really want to like say yes to everybody. And going into the field, I really wanted to, you know, save the world, but now, I'm like, no, you can't have another prescription, you're done, you're, you shouldn't be in pain anymore. Like they were saying, after five days, you really, your toothache should have gone away, you, you know, look for something else. So um, I just wanna say that do for you, don't worry about what other people seem like they're gonna help you, cause if they're not helping themselves, they sure aren't gonna help you.
3: Thank you for coming, I appreciate you. This is about the end of the program, in case there is somebody here that had one more thing to say. Janet. Uh, yes. Just
6: real quick, wh- back on the prevention note and back on the what should we watch for note, uh, as an emergency physician, I take care of a lot of patients that have overdosed. And some come in awake, some come in unconscious, and some come in dead. And there, I almost always try to talk to the family or parents or friends and and get an idea of kind of what what they were kind of thinking uh, when, when they got to the hospital and, and kind of realized what had happened. And, and a very common theme is we should, we should have known, we should have known, and oftentimes they don't. So sometimes they share with me what they wish they would have known. And one of the common themes is that something changes, behavior changes, coming home late changes, how they talk to you at the dinner table changes, if you sit it together for dinner, which I highly suggest. Um, but something changes and sometimes it's subtle. So a, a specific example, we, as we saw in the, the video that we watched earlier, um, the girl broke apart a cigarette and took the filter out. So what one family had mentioned is that, you know, we had a bunch of Q-tips missing. And what some people will use is the cotton off the Q-tip as, as a filter so there there are subtle signs that families come in and tell me that these are the things that we've missed and so it just emphasizes the fact that you have to be very observant almost like over observant but there are there are little little things like q-tip missing spoons missing water bottle cap water bottles without the caps laying all over the place um, broken cigarettes where where they shouldn't be um, or just cigarettes around the house when they shouldn't be just one other thing to kind of be a little hyper vigilant about is that physiologically when when somebody gets out of rehab or when somebody gets out of jail and they haven't used for a very long time or even a month they can they are at a much higher risk of using again and overdosing because of a tolerance thing so you should be hypervigilant all the time, but especially during those periods of time. Oftentimes people think, okay, my loved one went to rehab. They're back. We've, we're we over this. We're done. That's, that's really not the case. So if there's any time to be even more careful, uh, it's the time when they get out of rehab or when, when they get out of jail, and I think the judge will probably echo that, too.
4: Thank you. Can I very briefly add a couple things to Dr. Lynch's list? Um, And and this is really helpful because this is what we're here uh, on a prevention basis. We're trying to impart information to you and get it back for the purpose of prevention. We always lapse into treatment and some other things, but prevention. If you see a change in your child's appetite, if you see a change in your child's appearance, if you see your child's grades slipping, if you see your child losing interest in the activities that he or she previously loved, if you see your child quitting sports, any behavioral change of any significance, do not pretend it's not happening. It may not be drug abuse, but it might. And believe me, and God help you, if you just let it go. And some of the folks here who who have had kids in my drug court uh, will be the first ones to tell you that keep be hyper-vigilant. I think that's some of the best advice you can you can have. Look for those changes and act on them. If you see problems in school, Janet, your advice was exactly right. Parents, go to school. Grab Jeff Hicks by the collar. <laughs> and you won't have to in Clarence by the way because we have Ken Smith and Jeff Hicks are fantastic. And you call if you see a problem with your kids, You call one of those people, and I guarantee you that problem will be addressed. But we have spent years looking the other way at our children's behavior and at what happens in school. We have to stop that. It could be uh, a prescription issue. It could be an emotional trigger, like the death in the family. It could be choice, because someone just decided to go to a farm, P-H-A-R-M party and take a drug, but whatever it is, you have to see those symptoms quickly because if it goes on a long time and this gentleman back here, God bless you, he'll tell you, Andrew will tell you, it gets awfully difficult to handle the problem afterwards and you have a tremendous amount of courage and strength and I applaud you as I do Andrew and all the other kids out there and I know a lot of you who have tackled this problem and are still tackling it. But parents, you can help by seeing these signs and acting on them quickly.
3: When spring sports or fall sports begin in high school, a lot of times, or the beginning of your freshman year in high school, schools require you to sit in an auditorium very much like we're doing right now at Clarence High School. And they brought in people, and I believe it was from the D.A.R.E. program, which is a great program here in western New York and or it could have been somebody like you from the sheriff's office that talked and something that changed my life and i hope maybe you got a piece of advice tonight that changed yours was it was an officer that stood up there and said it's black and white if they're underage there's no drinking you don't allow alcohol in your house for minors you don't allow it to be that way and you can ask anyone that knows my kids or my friend my kids friends i lived that way and tried to keep from letting that into your house. Would you guys all agree that you, it has to be black and white for kids? At least you're not allowing alcohol to be a gateway or anything like that, would you agree?
4: It, Jenny, you hit the nail on the head. I've had parents who've said, well, I let my kids smoke weed at home because I don't want them to smoke elsewhere. And I looked at her, I said, are you serious? You really think your kid's gonna smoke weed at home and not smoke it elsewhere? We hear the same thing with alcohol. It is black and white because you don't want to help them start their addiction and you don't want to send them the wrong message that it's okay to drink or it's okay to smoke pot because it's not heroin because guess what folks it might be one day
3: appreciate you coming uh to our panel let's give them a round of applause <laughs> legislator Rath has been working for erie county now there's going to be kiss the summer low tickets given away so don't go anywhere yet For the past 10 years, he has focused on what's right for health, human services, public safety, his constituents, he has fought for the Silver Alert, he has been part of Amherst, Clarence, Akron, Newstead, and all of Western New York. So we thank Legislator Rath for putting this together tonight, thank you. (laughs) Clarence Middle School, and right after this, I'm gonna pick four people who get to come to Kiss a Summer Hello this year, so if you wanna hang out, this is a quick PSA our students put together at Clarence Middle School.
4: I never sounded better.
11: I felt helpless. My brother was a really sweet person before
9: drugs took over his life.
11: Drugs have affected my life because my brother is an addict.
9: My sister was a registered nurse and died at the age of thirty from a drug overdose.
3: Our brother is currently battling addiction with marijuana and other drugs. We miss him every day. He is out of our lives.
4: Our aunt Katie was struggling for a long time, and now she is deceased. We miss her very
3: much. I lost my son, Ryan Daniel Belfour, to the terrible disease of addiction this year, July fifteenth, two 2017.
5: I miss my brother every day.
4: It can happen to you if you don't say no, even once. If you have a problem, please call for help. There is hope, and there is help available.
3: Now, I need the names brought to me. Do you have the names? Okay, good. Um, And then we have got prevention resource tables out.
2: And that will do it for our live coverage from from the 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 Clarence High School Auditorium uh, for our Let's Talk Opioid Prevention... Uh, assembly, if you will, here, Uh, some powerful uh, speakers tonight that voluntarily stood up before the crowd and told their stories, Uh, and then in addition, obviously, to hearing from the panel of experts all with their uh, varying uh, areas of uh, expertise. We'll have this complete program for you uh, live or rather podcast, at WBEN.com, available on demand. You can review any of the portions of which uh, that you may have missed or want to hear again, uh, in addition to full coverage and stories tomorrow morning on WBEN. So along with Janet Snyder from our sister station, KISS 98.5, from Clarence High School. I'm Tim Wenger, Radio 930 WBEN. We now return to our regular programming.
1: Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app, the biggest sports radio stations in the country, providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives, streaming live and always available on demand